0: And welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Setia fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This episode is actually about everyone but Napoli, I decided to do an episode dedicated to the first round of the league. If you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that I try to watch every game, which I find especially useful for my match previews. I don't know if I'll be able to do that every round of the season, especially once the Femminile and the Primavera begin, but we'll see, I had the time for this round, so I figured I'd give you my thoughts. I'll review last season's top 4 teams in part 1, and then in part 2 I'll cover the remaining matches. So let's start with the reigning champions, Inter. They absolutely pummeled a hapless Genoa in an impressive debut for Simone Inzaghi. Anyone who had Inter finishing outside of the top 4 will be quickly revising their predictions. The match finished 4-0 on goals from Milan Skriniar, Hakan Chalanoglu, Edin Dzeko and Arturo Vidal. And that doesn't include goals from Ivan Perisic and Chalanoglu that were disallowed. So many Inter players had brilliant performances in this match, Hakan was the standout with a goal and an assist. The finish on the goal was so good that it overshadowed the quality of the build up play. The play started with an Inter free kick, Inter made 10 passes without Genoa touching the ball. Brozovic was the quarterback playing very deep, pretty much where a centre back would play and it finished with a give and go between Inter's two new players, Hakan and Dzeko. Dzeko was also very good in his debut. He seemed to be re-energized by this move to Inter. He probably stayed at Roma a year or two too long. Not that he necessarily wanted to. Roma just couldn't sell him with his high salary during a pandemic. He really is a unique striker though. You will rarely see a striker of his size get as deep as he does. Perisic, Brozovic, and Barella all played really well too. I don't want to get ahead of myself because it was a really weak Genoa team but the only point of weakness I could identify for Inter was in goal. I think Handanovic was fortunate that Genoa's finishing was really poor on the few good chances that they had. There was one play where a Genoa player took a shot straight at him and he fumbled the save and then couldn't get to the loose ball. That play made him look really old. But the real star of the show was Simone Inzaghi. Even though he plays the same system as his predecessor Antonio Conte, the approach was completely different. Under Conte, Inter played more vertically. They pushed forward, especially on the counterattack. While under Inzaghi, they play horizontally and they play very patiently. If they move forward and they run out of options, they're quite content to play the ball all the way back to the center backs and restart. Unlike Conte, Inzaghi didn't wait long to make his changes He made two changes in the 69th minute and then two more changes in the 77th minute and they paid off for some reason Conte was obsessed with starting Vidal who only had the legs to play for about an hour or so that didn't make much sense but using Vidal as a substitute especially with a lead makes a ton of sense he plays with intensity and the chances of him getting sent off are lower when he is a substitute than when he's a starter the scary thing is Inter did this all without Lautaro Martinez and largely without Denzel Dumfries, he made a brief appearance off the bench, and Inter just added Joaquin Correa from Lazio. There's not much to be said about Genoa, they hardly touched the ball, I really feel for Salvatore Sirigu, he left a club where he was getting peppered with shots and often left hung out to dry, only to join another club that does the same. The lone bright spot for Genoa in this match was Nicolo Rovella, I thought he played well, but other than that Genoa looked really poor. For their sake, I hope they were just shell-shocked by the champions and are capable of more, just not on match day 2 of course, otherwise they could be heading down this season. Let's move to the other side of Milan where AC Milan beat Sampdoria 1-0. Brahim Diaz scored the only goal of this match. I thought he played really well in the match wearing the number 10 no less. He was very lively, though I do think Audero should have done better on the goal. The goal started with a long ball by Mike Magnon for Davide Calabria on the right wing that Tommaso Augello dealt with really poorly. Magnon was clearly the standout Milan player in this match, both for his passing and his shot-stopping. Prior to the goal, he played a gorgeous long ball to Raphael Leao who made a great move to get past Bartosz Berzinski, but Aldero made a really good save. In the 17th minute, Magnon tipped a long-range Manolo Gabbiadini free kick off the bar and out. Gabbiadini would eventually leave the match with what turned out to be a sprained ankle. Magnon made a couple of saves on the ensuing corner kick as well, including a very difficult shot that was deflected on target. By Omar Khali. I thought both Calabria and Sandro Tonali had strong performances, which is a good sign for Milan. They're obviously two of Milan's younger players. Sampdoria really pushed forward in the final 15 minutes of the match, and Tonali had an important block during that spell. One of Milan's older players, Olivier Giroud, didn't score, but I thought he played well enough. He seemed to link up well with Brahim. That's my one concern with Milan, though, that is, will they be able to score more goals? They depended heavily on Ibrahimovic for goals last season, but who knows how many games he will play this season. Presumably they expect Giroud to pick up the slack, and I think he's certainly capable of doing that. They probably hope Teo Hernandez scores a few as well. He came close to scoring in this one, but Aldado made a really nice save. The rebound fell for Rade Krunic, who should have doubled Milan's lead, but his shot hit the outside of the goal. Besides the goal, Audaro actually had a really strong performance. He made another really good save on Giroud that was called offside, but I think had that gone in, there would have been a very close VAR review. Speaking of young talent, Mikhail Damsgaard showed once again what a talent he is. He's an exciting player, he's very technical, we saw that in the Euros, and we saw it again in this match, dribbling past a few Milan players. Finally, Alessandro Florenzi made his Milan debut with about 10 minutes left to play. So all in all, this wasn't the best performance for Milan, but that's understandable in the first round of the season. At this stage, you take the wins however they come, while you work out the kinks in the squad, which are only exacerbated by the Euros and the Copa America, and so on. Atalanta beat Torino 2-1 on goals from Luis Muriel and Roberto Piccoli. Il Gallo Andrea Belotti scored the long goal for Torino. This was not a typical Atalanta performance. They seem to lack that intensity, that urgency, that killer instinct that we've come to expect from them. The one consistent from last season was Luis Muriel's goal. This guy seems to score every time he plays, and more often than not, they're beautiful goals. On this play, he actually intercepted Josip Ilicic's pass, which was intended for Joachim Meili. Cut in on his left foot and fired an absolute rocket past Vanya milinkovic Savage. Savage assumed the starting role when Sirigu departed. That was only 5 minutes into the match so it certainly seemed like this was going to be a typical Atalanta performance. But credit to Torino they responded really well and on the whole I think you have to say that they were actually the better side. They certainly had the lion's share of scoring opportunities though their finishing was rather poor. Even Belotti was fortunate to get a deflection on his goal otherwise Musso probably makes the save there. Though he did do really well to set up the shot. I was really impressed with the play of Wilfried Singo. I'm actually surprised there isn't more interest in him from clubs that play with wingbacks like Inter or Lazio, he's incredibly quick and he showed that in this match. I thought Sanabria played ok as well, he has a way of getting into dangerous areas on the field. I should also give credit to Dan and Nick from the Atalanta pod, they predicted the win but they also predicted that it would not be easy, they said Torino always seemed to play Atalanta tough and recalled the meeting last season where Atalanta went ahead 3-0 and Torino fought all the way back to salvage a draw. Unfortunately for Torino, they weren't able to hold on to the draw here, conceding the winner in the third minute of stoppage time. So Torino started the season the same way they started last season. You might recall that last season, Torino dropped a lot of points conceding late goals. That is something Ivan Juric will want to fix. He's definitely capable of fixing that. We all know how good of a coach Juric is, especially defensively. Jurch was actually forced to watch this match from the stands while he served yet another suspension from last season. I'll close part one with Juventus against Udinese, which surprisingly finished in a 2-2 draw. Paulo Dybala quickly opened the scoring before Juan Cuadrado doubled Juve's lead midway through the first half, but Udinese leveled in the second half on goals from Roberto Pereira and Gerard de Feu. The big story heading into this match was that Cristiano Ronaldo asked not to start the match amid speculation that the Portuguese international wants out of Juventus, so Max Allegri started a front two of Paulo Dybala and Alvaro Morata. Allegri's starting 11 was similar to what we saw in his previous stint at Juventus. He played in a 4-4-2 with Cuadrado on the right side of the midfield and Federico Bernardeschi found himself back in the starting 11. But it was Dybala who shined for Juve. In the first quarter of the match, he opened the scoring with a cheeky poke to the far post. And then he assisted the second goal with a gorgeous long ball to Cuadrado. Cuadrado picked up right where he left off from last season. He patiently waited for Bram Neutink to dive in before blasting a low shot inside the far post. Surprisingly, that second goal was against the run of play. Udinese responded really well after Dybala opened the scoring and the pressure was beginning to mount on Juventus. Udinese did not appear to miss Rodrigo De Paul who of course had been integral to this team during his time there. Udinese were playing some really nice football actually, stringing together 4 or 5 one touch passes at a time. Perhaps it was because they fell behind early, but I thought Luca Gotti's men played far more positively in this match then we saw all last season where they sat everyone behind the ball and looked to counter. De Paul was usually the man leading the counter attack so maybe Gotti has adapted to him not being there and if so, losing De Paul may not be so bad after all. I thought Ignacio Puseto was a real threat for Udinez in the first half. He came close to scoring on a few occasions. Gotti's substitutes made quite the impact as well. Delofeo and Stefano Okaka left their mark on this match. Now, they did get quite a bit of help from Juventus goalkeeper Wojtek Szczesny. He had a truly forgettable match. Houdinez's first goal came from the penalty spot after Szczesny fouled Tolge Arslan in the area, and he only lunged at Arslan after fumbling what should have been a routine save. For the polish goalkeeper then on the second goal czesny came off his line to receive the back pass from bonucci and just held onto it for too long he was quickly closed down by okaka before delo finished into the empty goal to equalize you simply cannot make these kinds of mistakes at this level let alone for a club like juventus i've mentioned a few times with napoli that when you look back to last season you can identify so many moments that could have made a difference between qualifying for the champions league and not qualifying now I'm not suggesting that Juve don't finish in the top 4, it's way too early for that, but on the off chance that they narrowly miss the top 4, this will be one of those games they look back on. Allegri was forced to resort to his bench bringing on Ronaldo, Federico Chiesa and new signing Manuel Locatelli and it appeared to work in the dying minutes of the match. Chiesa picked up Ronaldo in the area and he headed past Marco Silvestri. Silvestri by the way left Verona to replace Juan Musso who left Udinese to join Atalanta. However, VAR reviewed the play and determined that Ronaldo was just barely offside on the play so the goal was ruled out and the match finished as a draw. Now I caution people, don't rule Juventus out just yet, there is a long long way to go. They only dropped points here because of some really costly mistakes by their goalkeeper. They were also rather unfortunate with Morata and Rodrigo Bentancur both hitting the upright in the second half. And I don't think this was Allegri's preferred 11. Even if Ronaldo leaves the club, I fully expect Chiesa and Locatelli to play prominent roles, and they are both impact players. That will do for part 1. In part 2, I'll cover the rest of the round. courage is all on the edge of the In a diventa not believe Let's continue with our round 1 review. Lazio beat Empoli 3 1 in Maurizio Sarri's debut for the Bianco Celesti. Sergei Milenkovic Savic, Manuel Lazzari, and Ciro Immobile scored for Lazio, while Filippo Baldinelli scored for Empoli. The scoreline isn't an accurate representation of how this match went. I was not terribly impressed with Lazio's performance. They definitely did not play sadi ball, but that's totally understandable. They have a new coach, and unlike Inzaghi at Inter or Spalletti at Napoli, they have also changed their system. It will take time for the players to adapt to that. You have Manuel Lazzari playing at right back, and some players who are new to the squad like El Cid Hisai and Pedro. He side played okay, though he missed a chance on a clear break in the second half. That would have been something if he scored in his first match for Lazio after only scoring one goal during his entire tenure at Napoli. I thought Pedro looked good in his debut as well. He was removed in the second half after cramping up. It didn't look serious, though. He was probably removed for precautionary reasons, and I don't think Sadi planned on playing him for the full match anyway. Raul Moto replaced Pedro which was interesting, Sadi has already shown more of a willingness to play his young players than Simone Inzaghi did during his time at Lazio. Based on this performance, I think Empoli could be this season what Spezia was last season. They look like the newly promoted club that on their day can steal points from some of the bigger clubs. For me, the difference in this match was that Lazio took their chances and Empoli did not. Baldinelli, Mancuso and Barami caused all kinds of problems for Lazio's backline. Baldinelli opened the scoring in the opening minutes of the match then he hit the upright about midway through the first half. Pepe made a couple of big saves one on Mancuso and another on Baldinelli. On the ladder, the rebound fell for Barami who smashed his shot at the empty goal but Luis Felipe made an incredible clearance off the line. And then in stoppage time, Barami hit the bar as well, so Empoli easily could have scored 3 or 4 goals. I also thought Peter Stojanovic played really well in the first half, he made a great play to start the build up to the first goal, first dribbling past Jean Daniel Akpra Akpro and then picking out Barami in space. Stojanovic showed his pace and dribbling skills on a few occasions in this match and he showed that he can play an accurate long ball. Akpa Akpro started over Luis Alberto, Lazio Sporting Director Ilitare explained that this decision was made for technical reasons, I don't really know what that means, but we know that Luis Alberto showed up late for summer training so I wonder if this was the club's way of disciplining him, they knew they were playing against a newly promoted club so it may have been a calculated risk. Unlike Empoli, Lazio didn't have many chances but they did convert the ones that they did have. Milinkovic-Savic scored from a corner kick set piece immediately after Empoli went ahead. Savage was an absolute beast in this match. For me, he's the early favorite to win the best midfielder award. He also assisted on the Lazzetti goal. I really enjoyed the build up to this goal. Lazio played 3 long balls. First, he switched the play to Lazeri. Then Savage played a long crossfield pass to Felipe Anderson and finally Anderson switched the play back to Lazzari. I thought Lazzari looked really good in the attack and he made a few nice tackles at the back as well but I still need to see more before I decide how I feel about him as a right back. Felipe Anderson was the other standout player for me in his return to Lazio. He assisted on the first goal and was generally very positive when he got the ball. Ciro Immobile converted the penalty to score Lazio's third goal. Personally, I thought that was a soft penalty call. I think that was a 50-50 ball. Ecerbi and Vicario collided shoulder to shoulder. I suppose match official Simone Sotza felt that Ecerbi got to the ball first and therefore it was an obstruction foul committed by Vicario. But I've seen a lot worse that have not been given. The last point I want to make is that other than scoring the penalty, I did not see a whole lot from Chiro Immobile. I don't think he was bad necessarily, but this performance reminded me a lot of his play at the Euros. He works hard, he does a lot of running, and he makes intelligent runs, which opens up the plate for others, but he just did not seem that involved to me. Like at the Euros, he didn't get much service either, but it does make you wonder whether he is just not well suited to play in a 4-3-3, so that's something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Staying in Rome, Roma beat Fiorentina 3-1. Henrik Mkhitaryan and Jordan Vertu scored for Roma while Hermann Petzela scored the lone goal for Fiorentina. For Roma this game was all about the new signings led by their big money signing Tammy Abraham. He made a very good impression on Romanisti who haven't seen a striker like Abraham in a very long time. He did just about everything but score. First he drew a red card on Fiorentina goalkeeper Bartolo Drogowski. Personally, I don't think that was a red card. Yes, Dragovsky was the last man, but Abraham's running towards the corner flag and his heavy touch would have definitely taken him there. So to me, you can't say that, that was a goal scoring chance. Credit to Ibanez for the pass, I think everyone's so focused on the red card that not enough people are talking about what a gorgeous pass that was. Tammy also assisted Roma's first two goals, both of which were initially ruled offside. The first was a lovely through ball for Mkhitaryan who timed his run perfectly. The second I actually thought was a return pass for Mkhitaryan that got through to Berto at the back post. Finally, Tammy came oh so close to scoring one of his own, but his header from the Pellegrini cross crashed off the bar and stayed out. So Tammy Abraham was definitely the player of the match. I thought Rui Patricio and Eldor Shumurodov did well in their Roma debuts as well. Patricio made a couple of good saves in the match. He looked confident and assured and there's not much that he could do on the Fiorentina goal. That was a well worked set piece. Pulgar played a great ball into the area. Petzela did well to a muscle Cristante. His first touch was superb and Patricio didn't stand a chance on the finish. Patricio definitely seems like an upgrade over Paulo Lopez and Antonio Mirante. So it seems like Roma have addressed one of their biggest weaknesses. Shomurdov only played the final 20 minutes. But boy did he make them count especially in the 79th minute. Shomuradav made Gaetano Castrovilli look like a toddler before playing a perfectly weighted through ball for Vertu on Roma's third goal. Shomuradov nearly scored in stoppage time as well after Carlos Perez played him through but Pietro Terracciano made a fine save. Credit to Terracciano, I thought he played well off the bench despite conceding 3 goals The only new face who didn't play well for Roma was Lucas Vigna. He got turned on a couple of occasions, first by Giacomo Bonaventura and then by Dusan Vlahovic. Both of them got shots on target, but as I said, Patricio was solid. It's too bad that Fiorentina got that red card though. They actually looked like the better side prior to the sending off. Fiorentina fans will be very happy with what they saw from Vincenzo Italiano, especially after enduring years of suffering under Beppe Iacchini. Laviola did get back on track after Nicolo Zaniolo was shown a second yellow in his long awaited return to football. You could say that the second yellow was a bit soft but had that been his first yellow I doubt too many people would have complained about that tackle. Also not that two wrongs should make it right but considering the Dragovsky red card this could have been a bit of a makeup call. So the final 40 minutes of the match were played 10v10. Both of those tackles by Zaniolo were on Fiorentina's new signing, Nico Gonzalez. He played really well in this match. He was certainly a handful for Roma's midfield and back line. Moving on, Sassuolo beat Hellas Verona 3-1 in another match between newly appointed coaches. Eusebio Di Francesco now sits on the Verona bench while Alessio Dionisi has taken over for Roberto De Zerbi. Gianluca Raspadori, Filip Juricic and Hamid Traoré scored for Sassuolo and Mattia Zaccani scored from the spot for Verona. This was another really entertaining match. The first half hour or so was just end to end action. Both teams were going for goal from just about anywhere on the park. There was a lot of talent on display in this match from Barak to Zaccani to Lovato for Verona and Raspadori to Juricic to Fratesi for Sassuolo. Both sides came close to scoring early on, but none closer than Nikola Kalinic, who watched his header hit the bar and stay out. Zaccani made a lovely move to set up the cross on that chance. Moments later, Sassuolo opened the scoring with a gorgeous goal. Chicho Caputo, obviously another very talented Sassuolo player, held the ball up at midfield just long enough for Sassuolo to get forward. Then Juricic played a pin-perfect long ball to pick out Raspadori's run in between Corey Gunter and Nikolo Casale. Finally Raspadori's first touch was sublime, splitting the defenders and setting up the goal. Like so many other matches this round, this one took a turn just before the break. Miguel Velozo was shown his second yellow in 9 minutes after appearing to deliberately step on Juricic. I thought the first yellow was a bit soft though, Veloso just barely caught Fratezzi and the young midfielder only pulled up after the ball got away from him. Juricic doubled Sassuolo's lead with another low finish after a lovely give and go with Caputo Juricic was my man of the match he was causing problems for Verona all match even before Veloso was sent off Zaccani pulled one back in the 69th minute he made a great play to win the penalty he timed his run perfectly and made a great touch to receive the long ball and cut across Jeremy Tolian, all in one motion Tolian found himself on the wrong side of Zaccani and committed the foul in the area Hametroare put the game away with a lovely curling strike from outside the area. Ivor Pandor got a hand on the ball, but he wasn't strong enough to keep it out. It was a good hit, but I couldn't help but wonder whether Marco Silvestri would have kept that shot out. To me, Pandor is a clear downgrade at goalkeeper. Bologna spoiled Salernitana's return to Serie A, winning 3-2. Lorenzo De Silvestri and Marco Arnautovic scored for Bologna while Federico Bonazzoli and Mamadou Koulibaly scored for Salernitana. This was another wild match with lots of goals and lots of red cards. Other than an excellent save by Lukas Kurupski on a Bonazzoli free kick which took a deflection off the wall, the opening half hour wasn't terribly eventful. Then things got nuts. First Stefan Strandberg managed to get two yellow cards in the span of a minute and both of them were deserved. Then shortly after the restart, Roberto Soriano got his arm up in the face of Milan Juric. After a quick VAR review, Soriano was sent off and Salernitana were awarded a penalty kick, which Bonazzoli converted, to put Salernitana ahead. Interestingly, Soriano only received a one-game suspension for a foul that was similar to the one Osiman committed on Heymans, yet Osiman got two games. I think there are two key differences though. First, Soriano didn't turn and swing, he just extended his arm. And second, he was going up for the ball, whereas Osamán was retaliating. That leveled the playing field. Ironically, Bologna only equalized after having a man sent off. De Silvestri was left completely unmarked on the Bologna corner kick and just barely got his header across the line as confirmed by the goal line technology. De Silvestri would eventually score the game winner on a very similar play, Salernitana will need to do a better job of defending set pieces or this is going to be a long season for them. Marko Arnautovic made his return to Serie a after over 10 years away, and I thought he played well. He nearly set up a goal in the first half, but somehow Nicolas Dominguez missed the open header. Dominguez returned the favor around the hour mark with a lovely through ball to Arnautovic. He took the ball down really well, but Vid Vidbelek made a fine save. Arnautovic did eventually get his goal. I thought the build-up to the goal was really impressive, concluding with the through ball by Gerardy Skelton. This was a veteran finish by Arnautovic, he's very comfortable playing with his back to goal. He turned and finished in the bottom corner. That was the game-tying goal, which came only two minutes after Salernitana went ahead for the second time in the match. Mamadou Koulibaly scored that second Salernitana goal. I thought he was Salernitana's best player on the night. Koulibaly did get a bit lucky on this one. First, the initial cross took a deflection, which is how Koulibaly got to that ball. Lukas Skorupski actually made an incredible save on the first effort, but the ball bounced around in the area and fell for Koulibaly again. His finish was not lucky at all, though Koulibaly had a very small window to put that ball in, and he found it. Unfortunately for Salernitana fans, they weren't able to hold on to that lead. As I said, Arnautovic tied the match only two minutes later, and then Del Silvestri scored the game winner only two minutes after that. Just to top it all off, and in keeping with the general trend of the round, Skelton picked up a second yellow with only five minutes left to play, so he will miss Bologna's upcoming match against Atalanta. The final match of the round was Spezia-Cagliari, which finished 2-2. Emmanuel Giassi and Simone Bastoni scored for Spezia, followed by a Doppieta from João Pedro. This was a really interesting match i thought spezia were the better side during the opening 20 minutes or so they were pressing high and it seemed to be working they scored the early goal which started with a press causing a turnover spezia completed 10 consecutive passes calmly building out of the back and concluding with a give and go between giassi and Daniele verde before giassi picked the bottom corner Credit to Cagliari, they recovered really well from the goal and took complete control of the match. Spezia were forced to defend the encounter, which they actually did quite well. That's how they scored their second goal, and I'm sure that's something they work on in training, knowing that they'll be on the back foot in many matches. Verda had a chance in the first half, but Cragno made the save. Abre McCauley had a chance on the counterattack early in the second half, but Cragno came way off his line to clear that one out. Finally, Spezia scored their second goal with a really well executed counterattack, culminating in the Bastoni goal. I thought Cranio probably could have done better on that one, but you generally don't blame a keeper in that situation. Credit to Cagliari for keeping their composure though. You felt it was only a matter of time before they broke through and that happened in the 62nd minute. João Pedro scored almost an identical goal to the one that Giassi scored in the first half. I thought Nahitan Nandez looked really good in this match. He had a bit of an off-season last season, but in this match he looked like the Nandes from two seasons ago. We'll see if he stays at Calyati. He's been linked to a number of clubs. He was causing all sorts of problems on Calyati's right wing. He should have had an assist in the opening minutes of the second half but somehow Pavoletti missed from point blank range. Pavoletti made up for it though about midway through the half, winning a penalty kick. There was a bit of controversy on the play immediately before the Cagliari attack. Spezia got forward and Sebastian Balukiewicz appeared to get his hands up on Giasi in the area. Giasi went to ground but the penalty wasn't given. Cagliari came back the other way and Jorwin Zot got to the ball late fouling Pavoletti in the process. Zot had a dreadful game, he did not look assured at all. On a few Cagliari corner kicks, which were really well taken by Rasvan Marin, Zot came out and only got a piece of the ball, Spezia were fortunate not to be punished on some of those plays. Cagliari did take advantage of the penalty kick though which João Pedro converted to tie the match. Spezia thought they went back ahead with a goal in the 77th minute on another well worked play but Samuel Mraz was clearly offside. Even though Spezia had a 2-0 lead and would have loved to win this match, I think a draw is still a decent result for a Club who will probably be fighting for survival again this season. So that will do it for this week's review. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back very soon with a mini-episode to preview our match on Sunday against Genoa, but until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! y la el aire merece ayer de tu sallador tu sallador a dos, tu cor ingrato que yo despiete fameno por fameno por a dos lo poco coche mas si fuye el l'asta el asistar el un te preso a pie, te excluye sul la guarda we're to, to, want to, to go. Podcast Network.